Hi, I'm Roberta Glass, and you're listening to my True Crime Report. Today, I have William Ramsey on to do a special live episode to talk about Linda Fairstein's lawsuit against Netflix, Ava DuVernay, and Atisha Locke. Uh, Welcome, William Ramsey. Roberta, thanks for having me on your show again. It's great to be with you. Thank you. I I love talking to you about this stuff. So, did you read... (laughs) Did you read the lawsuit? Yes, I did. I read the complaint in its entirety. So I I had no idea who Attica or Atisha Locke was, but uh, I do know. Yeah, I don't know if it's pronounced Attica or it's it's spelled Attica Locke. So I guess that's probably a better way to pronounce it. Um, I don't know either. Be honest with you. She com- she comes off terribly in, in this complaint, and uh, for those that don't know, um, when they see us is a loosely, I would say, very loosely based on the Central Park Five case, a Netflix dramatization of the case that's in four parts, and Linda Fairstein, who is really a champion. For um, she changed the way sexual assault cases, rape cases are tried in New York City. Uh, she worked in the sexual um, violent, uh, violence unit uh, for you know three decades, and headed it up for twenty six. And when this series comes out, she's the villain. Yes, yeah. They really kind of focused on her. They didn't seem to even broaden the blame or, you know, make other people look bad. She really became the kingpin of the so-called unjust conviction of the, what became known as the Central Park Five. Why do you think they did that? Well, it's a great question. I think that it might have just helped the narrative. I think there's a lot, I mean, after reading through the complaint, there's a lot of unknowns about why they focused in on her and really, kind of laid the onus upon her, a pretty heavy burden, but um, it may have even started. One of the things that was interesting about reading the complaint is that Netflix and Ava DuVernay and um, Attica or Atisha Locke were on notice. There was information that was being exchanged between Fairstein and them in 2016. There was legal counsel documents and things like that being sent saying, hey, watch out. Hey, and so sometime, sometime maybe in that um, exchange laid the groundwork for them being angry with her and and dra- crafting that kind of narrative. Did you get that feeling from reading the complaint? Yeah, I guess I yeah that's 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 a more detailed take. I I wondered maybe just as a screenwriter's daughter if they just needed one villain because to have multiple villains was just too confusing for the audience and that and that the idea of a, of a multi-person conspiracy, if they could just blame it, you know, also the cops come off as racist and, uh, but they make her look racist and corrupt and, you know, to have one villain is very powerful. That was my take, but that makes also, that adds um, a little bit more history. um, Right. I mean, they actually, in that, they said that she was trying to, uh, in in the show, they were she was trying to actually address uh, just the evidence illegally. I mean, they made her character engage in illegal behavior. Yeah, and, and I think you know. Well, okay, I'm going to put a pin in that. But 
Yeah, right. that's one thing. Uh, another uh, part of the complaint is they have her character played by Felicity um, Hoffman, Huffman, which is right. so... I guess there's some irony now that she has been caught up in the... The actress Felicity Huffman has been caught up in the college scandal. Right. The pay to get your... She paid to get her kids' SATs corrected and pled guilty to that. Um, they have Felicity Huffman's character calling them thugs, animals, bastards, telling uh, the cops to round up every uh, black kid you see. <sighs> right. And for people who don't know, you and I talked about this case on July 12th, 2019. So uh, you and I have kind of a background in talking about this. But I also interviewed... Eric Reynolds, who's mentioned in the complaint, uh, he and I had a conversation September 6, 2019, and then also I talked with Richard Syracusa, who got punched in the face by Matias Reyes, whose DNA was what led to the so-called exoneration of the Central Park Five. And that was his That's book. That's an amazing interview, when yeah. you're around yeah. Your Eyes Are and Your Life is the name of the book. Yeah, I mean, he, he brings him in candy, because he's going to be sentenced. Mateus Reyes, this is Mateus Reyes' lawyer. And he's like, I thought he was going to take the sentencing hard, so I brought him in candy. And Mateus Reyes took a swing at him in the courtroom. Yeah, no, I think he connected. He punched him in the face. Punched him in the face. Punched him, you mean connected? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, so Richard Syracuse has some interesting stories. But he has a very similar look at the Central Park Five, much like... Eric Reynolds. I mean, they, they just because the DNA of Matthias Reyes was found at the scene doesn't mean that the Central Park Five weren't involved. Right. And, uh, yeah, there's so much evidence. And, and what gets forgotten is um, in the and they mentioned this in the complaint is that um, Richardson, Kevin Richardson, one of the Central Park Five, had a, had a scratch on his face. Right. And they said, excuse me? No, you're right. Yes. Yeah. And they said, where did you get that scratch? And he said, oh, the cop did it to me when he arrested me. And they said, oh, which cop? And I'll, I'll bring him in, you know, to hear his. Right. And as soon as he knew that uh, he'd have to face an officer and and with hit, with that false claim that he was scratched by the officer, he admitted, well, I was scratched by the jogger. And that right. was, um, you know, one of the first clues that they were involved. Right. And, I mean, that's all video evidence. It was done. Uh, you know, you can't do an interview with people under 16. But it was done with their parents present. And that video is available online. And that's actually a consistent theme through the complaint is that they're wondering if DuVernay and Locke are actually going to read through the voluminous records that were available or were soon to be available. Uh, and in some instances, they, they claim publicly that they did, I mean, at least in some of her tweets, they publicly claim that they did read through the evidence, but it certainly doesn't, isn't reflected in the uh, show as far as I can watch it, which I couldn't get past the first one. It was, uh, but I'm glad. I'm no, actually, it looks like uh, they watched... Uh, the Ken Burns, yes. I, I want to call it mockumentary. <laughs> it's right. so absurd um, of the Central Park Five, uh, and and just went went based it on that. And that documentary, 
is based on his daughter Sarah Burns's book, and Sarah Burns was the paralegal uh, for the law firm suing the city. Right, it was for, she was for, a call. You know, hundreds, hundred million dollars. Right, Jonathan Moore was the attorney, so he was the contingency fee counsel who made off like a bandit when they got forty-two or forty-one million dollars for Antron McRae and Corey Wise, two of the five. So she had a connection to it. And Ken Burns is what her daddy yeah. did, Civil War or whatever. So, yeah, they, and, and that's mentioned in the complaint. Complaint's very well written and uh, very detailed and long, too. You know, it's 100 pages, so it's not your standard, you know, 40-page, 30-page complaint. Yeah, and it's so interesting that uh, I wondered how you felt reading the complaint when it says um, that something to the effect, like, when they see us is a fictional account, but it's treated like a documentary. Right, well, and I, I thought yeah. of the West Memphis Three and other really um, those documentaries that take great liberties with the truth. Yes, and I think that you know like the same type of thing comes up as you have these producers and uh, people who have maybe some type of agenda. And uh, it was interesting, one of the aspects of the case is that there was no disclaimer at the beginning of when they see us. So it's not, there was no disclaimer of stating it was a dramatization until the very end. So after you watch this thinking, and the way that law, and I think it's pretty clear based upon their tweets and the tweets of Netflix itself saying, here's the truth, that they really portrayed mm -hmm. this depiction as... Uh, the gospel truth, or what what actually really happened in the court case? Did you get that impression? Yes, and it and what it does, and what also the West Memphis Three movies do is make an incredible emotional attachment to the Central Park Five and the audience. So after this was released, there was an outcry that. Linda Fairstein be punished. And it just seemed like everyone just acquiesced from um, the charities she was involved in, from God's Love We Deliver, um, to Safe Horizons, to Vassar College, where she sat, um, I believe she sat on the um, trustees board. Trustees board she yes. had to resign. She lost her publisher, and she lost. I didn't know this um, before reading the complaint that she also lost um, her publisher in England, uh, Little Brown. Right. So she lost all her publisher, and then the, the one of the other aspects of the complaint, which was fascinating, was that Attica Locke seemed to go on a campaign, a cancel culture type of campaign to get her stripped of her Grandmaster Award, which she did. And then it seems to me like Locke gloated about it. Like, oh, yeah, she got what she deserved. and uh, Right, and, and Linda Fairstein was uh, engaging with her on Twitter, defending herself, as you would want to. And people were calling. Even when I was looking for pictures for the thumbnail, I found a picture of Linda Fairstein with the word shame written across. Right. Yeah. And just, I just got so... Uh, I felt so demoralized and upset reading this because, you know, they did these. Um, this was a, a group of thirty-three uh, boys who were involved in, in. Now they laugh at the world, world wilding, but they were going. They went set out to rob bicyclists and joggers. 
that was what they set out to do that night. And the movie makes it look like they're, they're just, you know, enjoying the night air and listening to Public Enemy and, and walking around. And even the Central Park Five all say that they were there that night. Um, and that was April just, 19th, 1989. It's like really bizarre yeah. world. It's bizarre world. So these were like real, it reminded me also a lot of making a murderer, like just lives destroyed careers destroyed, re reputations destroyed, and Netflix is also has a lawsuit um, that they're dealing with because of that. Right. So how does this get okayed? How do they green light these, these projects that are that fast and loose with the facts? How do they get, get away with these dramatization? How did Sheila Nevins go through the whole process with West Memphis 3 and produce those three absurd uh, document mockumentaries, really? I think it's a big question. And how does the public get, in, you know, brought into this great kind of mobocracy, idiocracy? The same thing happened in the West Memphis Three as it did in this case, where there were these petitions, 240,000 people, uh, petitions, and all this crazy stuff. And she's clearly affected. And the real question is whether there's actual malice in this defamation. If you read through some of these tweets, it certainly looks like it to me. So how does the, how you know? And I think that these people deliberately stoked that fire. Whether it's Netflix and uh, I mean, and I think that they make an interesting point in the complaint that these things were stoked up uh, to promote the show. You know, as uh, not when they see us as like it was legit. And there's also another aspect that's a little bit different. Even though so many of these cases are, are connected to causes. But in this case, it's really, um, I think the worst thing you can call someone is a, a racist. You know, no yeah. one wants to be called a racist. So that anyone who thinks that the Central Park, we've been both called racist saying the Central Park Five are guilty um, right. in the comments. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it, it encourages the mob, pitchforky mob mentality encourages anyone who agrees with Linda Fairstein to stay silent yes. and not open their mouth because they don't want to be the next target. Right. I think that's the power of this whole cancel culture. That's what I was thinking because Fairstein was canceled on all fronts, reputationally, financially, uh, you know, in her whole history. And I think they made the point within the complaint that she actually got people off who were falsely accused. So she was working different angles uh, during her career. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a threat. I think you're at the point these days where calling somebody a racist falsely is defamatory. Like, I think that you could actually have a, that's actual malice. Um, Don't you think? Like, well, if you put that in a trial? I mean, every time I, every time it seems like I, op I you know, I do a case where uh, there's a convicted person of color, uh, you know, I think the last one I did with Garrett Phillips, I was called, um, that I would do well uh, with the rest of the KKK members in the town where the murder occurred. And I thought, well, I don't think the KKK, despite our uh, ideological differences, is taking too many Jewish women from New, <laughs> New York. From New York, right. Yeah, right. Um, um, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's, it's strange. But, you know, you kind of, I kind of got the same thing. There seems to be a, an auto, like, an automatic response in some of these cases. So if you believe the West Memphis Three did it, you are a uh, uh, Christian conservative redneck 
hillbilly or something. You know, that that seemed to be it. And I think some people right. were surprised to find out that I lived in Los Angeles when I told them that. You know, it's like, oh, well, that doesn't fit into my response to that. But yeah, yeah, I've been accused of being blinded by my religion uh, too, which you know, as you know, is agnostic atheist type. <laughs> so um, some of the things uh, that were interesting in this um, complaint were the, uh, you know, I didn't make it all the way through when they see us. I just, I, I don't have that kind of stomach I for all of it. Either. But yeah, <laughs> uh, one was where they talk about the scene where Felicity Huffman as Linda Fairstein comes across the crime scene and says, see, just one single footprints as it. So meaning she knows that one person did it and she wants to accuse as many people falsely as she can. Right. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> they literally just, it wasn't even a drop in a ta- dramatization. It's totally fictional. Some of the stuff they put in there while stating publicly that they went through all the court documents, you know, Say, I mean, I think that there was one tweet by DuVernay that basically said she delved deep into court transcripts, testimony, legal maneuvers. She had the patience and experience to decipher the legal mumbo-jumbo. Explain it to me. Build the suspense. That's uh, DuVernay talking about Attica Locker, a T-shirt, or whatever it is. But yeah. yeah, and they make it. Yeah, they make it really simple and really palatable, and it's all racism. And they had nothing to do with it. They were just kids enjoying the night air. But even they say they were there and that night. And I want to go back to Kevin Richardson. So instead of the scratch on his face, in when they see us now, he has a bruise from being beat up by the cop and being, you know, forcing to confess falsely. I mean, what a difference that is. I mean, talk about license. It really is. And, you know, Uh, you notice one of the things they don't mention is the videotaped confessions, right? They don't ever, DuVernay and Locke seem to be very comfortable avoiding that, which that evidence is available online. You can watch it with their parents there, with their parents present. Present, just sitting right next to them. And even, um, and it's, and it's so strange that the part of the deal when they got paid off um, was that these part of the settlement was that these court records and depositions and confessions would be publicly available. And as I said to you, I've been on that website and what they did, and I know they fought to keep some things out of it. Some, a few names are redacted. Um, but what they did was they took the court documents and they broke them apart into pieces. So opening statement here, and it's impossible. And there are two different trials we're talking about. It's an impossible unless you're going to print out all the pages and put them back together correctly to get a sense of the entire trial. Interesting. I wasn't aware of that. So I don't know if it's, I mean, my feeling is it was done purposefully to be purposely confusing. Um, someone else had to see that, was, or someone was very OCD and was kind of micromanaging it. But someone had to see that that was purposely confusing and and made it very difficult. You That's know, interesting. You know, I found the same thing. Out. Yeah, I found the same thing when I was researching the West Memphis Three. If you looked on Callahan's, it was very haphazard in some ways. 
it didn't really have a timeline, and there was really no book that timelined everything, which I tried to do in my book about the West Memphis Three. So it's it's it seems like a deliberate obfuscation on the Central Park Five people, you know. And I think that they have to obfuscate because they have to overlook a lot of these little facts that happened and on the night of April nineteenth and their confessions, if they're gonna have this convince you know convince the public. But it's it is remarkable this. Uh, this whole thing about innocence fraud it really is it really is much more common i think than people understand and i think this is the way the direction is going to to da's even though linda fairstein didn't prosecute this case but i think that they're looking now um to really put in more da's like larry krasner um like uh kimberly fox in chicago who are really ideologically aligned with the wrongful conviction movement. And to punish or discourage uh, those who aren't from from, um, prosecuting. Interesting. Well, they have a problem with the prosecutor here in L.A. I can't remember her name, but she's very political. And it goes back to the Ed Buck case of him not being arrested when black men are being taken out of his apartment here. You know, it's like all kinds of crazy stuff going on with some of these DAs. Yeah. Someone writes in, uh, Bridget writes in the comments that she thinks that Fairstein is a stand in proxy for the hate against Trump. Interesting. Sure. Well, no, I mean, I think that's an interesting thought. I kind of felt like the way that she was poor, like dramatized was this kind of, uh, you know, she became the kind of white boogeyman. She became a distilled symbol of how to how to counterpoise these innocent black kids with the great white oppressor. You know, I kind of felt like that was the way that she was portrayed. And I kind of saw that in a lot of the, you know, here in L.A., there's a lot of publicity for this. And, they, you know, they kind of made the kids... They were, what, 13 or 14? There was, like, pictures of them with musical instruments. So they, they, they got this kind of portrayal as, you know, just school-loving little eighth graders. Um, and so so I kind of felt like the, there was deliberate, uh, you know, structuring of these 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 characters within... Now they, now they see us. But even the title itself is, uh, you know, it definitely has... Uh, it's definitely a loaded term. Have you heard Ava DuVernay talk about when they see us, why she picked that title? No. What did she, do you know? She said that she wanted to bring, she didn't want to call, she, she didn't want them to be attached to their crime anymore. And she wanted, she wanted to bring back their humanity. Where is Trisha Melee's humanity? And the other, uh, what was it, six people they attacked that night besides Trisha Melee? Uh, just a reminder that Trisha Melee, the do- uh, jogger, lost 80% of her blood. Um, her eye uh, was out of her socket. Uh, they thought, I mean, it was just a miracle yeah, that miracle she survived. survived right. She has a permanent brain injury for life, uh, you know, and she speaks about it. And uh, She there, was in a coma for 11 days, so... Yeah, coma for 11 days. <sighs> yeah, so, I mean, right, that's a good point. I mean, it's it's very convenient for them to overlook the victims of the crime, you know, and you can see kind of 
this movement within the courts for the victim's crime, VCVRCA, that was one of the big issues about Epstein, was was the victim's criminal, was it the right... I'm glad you brought... Sorry. I'm glad you brought up Epstein because one of the things in the complaint was that a group called, I think it was Closed Posies or Rosies, I can't read my own writing in my notes, (laughs) Um, which is a group of present and former Rikers Island uh, inmates, women inmates, printed Linda Fairstein's address on Twitter and noted, noted its proximity to Jeffrey Epstein's. Right, like they insinuated, right, that she had some kind of, uh, some type of connection to Epstein when she never has. Right, which is just so ironic because uh, this is the woman who wrote a book in 1993 about uh, rape and sexual violence and ending it. Right. So she's going to be somehow connected for women to go after her? I mean. Yeah, it's it's really uh, grotesque. And I mean, I think, yeah. And they called, they really um, belittled her on a personal level in social media. I think one of the tweets from Locke was, but F it, Linda Fairstein is trash, was trash, will always be trash. No, those are very provocative statements to people who don't take the time to read the court transcripts. Most of the people think that she prosecuted the case. I think that was a deliberate um, attempt by these these guys to, to make it look like she was doing it, you know. Actually, there was. Is, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just ahead. thought it was interesting that Letterer was the real prosecutor and another man, but she was willing to work with Duvernay and was directing her towards the court transcripts of what really happened. And Duvernay didn't seem to be interested in, in Letterer before anything got you know too serious. She just broke it off. So she's kind of. I mean, it seemed like she sensed what was coming, and she she took on. I mean, I think that she endured some cancel culture type stuff too. I think she got harassed. Oh, letter! Yeah, had to step down from her position at Columbia as assistant professor uh, of law. And the sad thing is that the students are really going to miss out. Yes. Yeah, you're right. So, you know, I mean, and what's interesting is these are all leftist people who who you know give a lot of lip service to. Uh, powerful women. We should have more women in position of authority. And when there are women that they, you know, disagree with for completely, in my opinion, wrong reasons, you know, they they will go after. This is, you know, they come from the choice feminism, respect every woman's choices and beliefs and everything. But anyone who disagrees with them, cancel them, they're trash, go after them get their livelihood taken away from them. I mean, Linda Fairstein's had death threats. I mean, and just, I, I, I was just looking at the comments on Reddit before last night of people saying, oh, and, and D.H., um, D.L. Hughley, that comedian, yes. tweeted, like, isn't this an example of how white people can't take it, can't take, can't own up to what they've done? Right. I mean, that's the whole thing. That's the whole dangerous act, uh, element of this uh, dramatization is that people thought that it was real. They're basing all these actions on something that is a dramatization. It's scary. And I, I mean, I think that they're in real trouble. I mean, if I look through that complaint, I think Netflix and uh, DuVernay and Locke are in deep trouble for what they put on there. I thought so, too. Yeah. 
So I, I don't understand what how they can defend that. What what would be a possible defense? <laughs> Honestly, off the top of my head, it, nothing comes up. It was like, oh, I didn't mean it, or I don't know. I don't know how you walk your way back from that when you've posted on social media in this type of environment. If they have those transcripts and screenshots, I don't know how they're going to get away with it. And there's a real uh, there's a real chasm between that show now they see us and the, what happened in the court case. So, I, you know, I think if there's a jury trial and they sit down, the jurors watch that. I don't know how they can, and look, look at the consequences for Fairstein were so severe. Um, they didn't just go after one thing; they went after everything on her, and she really didn't have that much to. She wasn't really the prosecutor so uh yeah i really think netflix is in trouble too i think that they and they actually their response to the filed case was that it was a frivolous case and i thought that response was terrible too like that is not the right uh public statement on such a serious issue oh it's frivolous they kind of just dismissed well the public seems to be accepting that and, and saying oh linda fairstein can't handle the truth. Can't dish what she takes, type thing. I mean, that's yeah, really sad. I, you know, I, I, it's really sad, and I, I've never really recovered from reading the Central Park Five court transcripts. It was the most disturbing research, and I look at a lot of disturbing cases of of my life. I, I it's you know, it, first of all, it's a they did this out of really boredom. Uh, Yusuf Salam uh, said that um, smashing in the Trisha Melee's head was fun. And he won a uh, Lifetime Achievement Award from Obama. So it's not just the unjust result of them winning millions, because they did their time. So, you know, I don't have issue with that. They did do their time. Right. But afterwards, to get rewarded and then to be held up as martyrs right. and victims. Yeah, and, it's really remarkable. you know, given Lifetime's Achievement Award by Obama, and I don't know, it, it, it really makes you think about if something had, had come up, like something, I was wondering if there were sort of, do you think they were kind of like a symbol, so it doesn't matter if it's true or not? Now yeah, just I think like so. Absolutely. Against racism or yeah, it's like a political yeah. agenda. You know, if you have this kind of agenda going, I think that that's, that's really your story. You twist the story, and I think that, if I re- recollect correctly, DuVernay made another docu- you know, kind of a documentary. I think she tied in the prison system to slavery. I remember, wasn't that 13th, 13th Amendment hers? That was a little yes. bit of a stretch for mm-hmm. me as well. Um, but... Uh, uh, I do, you know, I think that it was very political, too. Even the payout was political. When I was talking to Eric Reynolds, uh, who sent me the complaint, um, he said that the payout took place right away, right after de Blasio became mayor. So de Blasio came in, and I think the payout was took place within a month. They just, you know, handed him a cash payment. And it's interesting. Yeah, sorry. And when Bloomberg was running, um, before he, he dropped out, um, the main criticism of, of him on Twitter was that he fought paying out the Central Park Five. And when he was asked about it, he said, well, I'm going to have to respect this one judge's decision to vacate their um, crimes. But 
it doesn't answer the question if they didn't rape the jogger, why did they have semen in their pants? Why did they uh, confess to it? Why This was a group rape, which I, um, I don't think people understand. And I don't think they understand that the semen of Mateus Reyes was found um, on the sock, not inside the jogger. You know, that... Um, you know, that DNA was all inclu inconclusive, and I believe my thought is because it was a gang rape, and there's, you know, multiple. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a multiple well, specimen well, sample, you know what I mean? Right, well, Re Reynolds said that they were punks, you know, that they didn't even complete the act, and that they were young and all kind of, you know, it's kind of like group behavior, so... Um, yeah, I mean, I can't remember specifically what he said, but it's. I think if you look at the real yeah. facts of the case, it's conclusive they were involved in some way with, you know, what happened to her. And I, I think that Syracuse said that he believed that they knew Matthias Reyes. They just knew him under a different nickname. You know, they knew him as on a street name, which is very common. They knew someone, somebody in that group. I think it was Santana. Uh, Syracuse believed that Santana knew Reyes. So they and I have another theory as to why they didn't finger him. I mean, this is a guy who um, raped his own mother, yeah. um, raped and ki uh, killed a pregnant uh, woman in front of her, her child. Wouldn't you think that, that he would be known on the street as someone you wouldn't want to finger? Yes. Scary character. Absolutely. He, he was in, he was a serial rapist. I mean, and the guy was I mean, right. He had a nightmarish. I mean, his whole childhood was totally crazy, abuse, all kinds and of abuse. And his confession so. makes no sense. I, I encourage my audience to listen to his confession. It makes absolutely no sense at all. And he's not asked any any follow up questions. Everything out of his mouth is just accepted. I mean. Yeah, I mean, there's a real. Yeah, it, it just, yeah. I mean, he talks about a branch hitting the jogger with a branch, and he he motions with his hands how big it is, and it's just ridiculous. I mean, to lift that up over your head and 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 do the damage that was done to to Trisha Mele's body, it's just yeah. I think that absurd. didn't they conclusively determine that it couldn't have been done by just one person? One person didn't have what it took he, to commit the crime. Yes, and the, that, right? and the Central Park Five all admit that they were there and they were watching other kids, faceless, nameless other kids, do the crime. And, not, and they never told anybody, and they all decided to confess to it themselves with no pressure. And that's another part of the complaint, is that uh, Felicity Huffman's character tells the cops to take off the kid gloves or don't use kid gloves, meaning, you know... We're going to treat yeah, these people yeah, like adults. Basically, don't follow the law. Right. right. Well, that's. I think there was a depiction in the show where they were um, interviewed without getting their Miranda rights. So there's obvious elements there where the people who made the film uh, weren't warranted hearing to what really happened because they were they were at, if I remember correctly they were at the police uh, the police station on the night and then they were let go and then brought back for their interview their videotaped interview remember that so what well, didn't happen on that same night it happened either the next day on the 20th or the 21st that their videotaped right um, interrogation took place yeah 
which you know it doesn't make it look like it's some yeah. kind of rush to judgment or hasty you know pinning we just found five people that just pinned it on them right tunnel vision or whatever they called it in the right. West Memphis three. And if she wants to round up so many uh, black men, black kids, and charge them, there were, you know, uh, one of the Central Park Five counted forty people. Thirty, uh, the complaint uh, was thirty-three people involved. She only chose five and two others to charge smaller crimes on. Really, if she's so gung ho, you know. To charge people with a crime, she can't. She can't charge uh, more people. It's absurd. Did I lose you? Okay. I think I lost William Ramsey. Maybe I'll call back. All right. Um. Well, I'm trying to do an interview. Hello. Um. Let me see what's in the chat. Hello. Um, Tuesday, yes, Devin Tracy, uh, uh, excellent she off. work on this. And, okay, right. no, I hear you now. Okay, I hear okay. You okay. so I'm just sort of closing it out. I think okay. I just, <laughs> I just okay. kind of uh, was closing out the the live podcast. But is there anything else that we missed that you that you want to talk about? I don't know. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this continues. Uh, what the response is going to be from. Uh, net both Netflix and DuVernay and Locke. I think it'll be pretty fascinating because I'm I, I don't see a lot of responses to all the facts that uh, the you know civil lawyers have compiled, including Fairstein. I'm sure she just kept all that information all during the time in her her interaction with Netflix and DuVernay. Yeah, and you brought up a, a point earlier, but I just like to circle back to it that Netflix. Their tagline that they were tweeting out and using is, the truth is coming. So that's very hard to make a defense that, well, we put up a disclaimer at the end that it was fiction when, right. they, when you use that tagline, right? Uh, yeah, and they had a full page of their tweets saying the same thing over and over again, date after date. So uh, I don't know how Netflix is going get, to get out of that. You know, I just don't know. Yeah. And... and I guess my my really big question is why this case? Like, I understand, I remember the press, uh, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania about an hour, 45 minutes outside of New York, but I remember the press at the time for this case. Um, I was pretty young, but I remember it. And so I was, what is the significance of this case? Why did Al Sharpton, why, why were they so... Uh, concerned with getting these guys' convictions vacated, even after they did their time? Was it just money suing the state? Or? I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. I've thought something that's on the similar lines is there's just so many injustices made against people who are African-American in the history of this country that you could focus on all kinds of horrible events Going back hundreds of years, instead they focused on something like this where I think that the facts and evidence are irrefutable that they're involved in some way, the totality of which I don't think that, uh, you know, I think they served their time. I think they got proportional sentences. I think they all served around two or three or four years. But why do you think that DuVernay and uh, Netflix didn't focus on something else, something 
that was legit, something real. Right, and I was thinking about the case of um, Mattress Girl. I mean, that's not a case. It's just a sort of a media event of the that I think her name is Sokolov, who yeah, went to Columbia, right. uh-huh. who who had a dubious claim. In, in my my view, I don't know if people know more and think I'm wrong. Please feel free to send it to me. Um, uh, uh, of rape or of kind of date rape and. You know, if she were the face of of, of uh, survivors of rape, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be too pleased. You know, right. you know what I mean? Right. Like, I don't think it does any um, favors to have kind of a, a myth being held up, at, at, uh, uh, you know, as a as, as, as a fact. symbol. Right. Like, so a myth being created of prosecution or persecution of young men. Yeah, it's very strange. I don't understand that. Yeah. Did you see the post I I put up about Sacco and Vanzetti? No, what was it? It was, um, it was about, um, Upton Sinclair writing the book based on Sacco and Vanzetti's trial. I didn't realize how embedded he was with the defense when he wrote a book, I think it was called Boston Mm -hmm. and Sacco and Vanzetti, um, there's a whole myth around that case that they were innocent and they were convicted because of anti-immigrant anti-immigrant sentiment. And um, he wrote that the defense had cooked up alibis for them and that he knew that they were likely guilty, but he had to write this book from a position of innocence because that's what the public expected. Now, that's a case nearly 100 years old. So, <laughs> but Sacco and Vincetti uh, weren't they the ones who tried to kill the president or killed the president or killed somebody? Right? No, I think it was a rob. It was a robbery. It was uh-huh. a robbery and murder. A murder in uh, in in the. I don't know a whole heck of a lot about it. Um, I, it was a murder that happened when they they were robbing. Okay. Uh, in a in a robbery, okay. but there were both you know, anarchists. Songs have been written about them. Yeah. Uh, uh, Howard Zinn, who's um, uh, sort of a people's history act, you know, yes. um, historian, people's historian, has written that it's a very important case and shows, you know, kind of written about about it as if it were, you know, that the myth were fact. So, right. so they create, you know, so it's people who have these agendas. Or biases, they find these cases and they're exemplars of the injustices that they want to promote on the public. So instead of taking a case that's open and shut, they, uh, you know, bullhorn it or they uh, try to get up, you know, get get people in a a big old panic or kerfluffle about the case to, to further their agenda, right? So I think that. You could probably make that Sacco and Vizzetti is the same thing as the Central Park Five because people are like, hey, man, there's injustice against poor, you know, less fortunate colored people. And, you know, right. it's the same thing, right? So that that might be it. Unfortunately, it's not. Yeah, it's just a weird phenomenon, this whole innocence fraud kind of uh, the public or the. Not, I wouldn't even call it journalism, just the inter- infotainment people getting involved in these court cases and just, just doing a wretched job. Just like, 
I mean, making a murder is, a, is an atrocity, just like the West Memphis Three, and I think the Central Park, this one they see us, is also an atrocity. So, I, I you know, why, right. when is this going to end? And, and I don't know. It just seems like how are we going to um, progress as a society, <laughs> you know, progress as a society um, when we have these kind of divisions? Right, it's not just the division, but it's also this kind of idea in the public, and it's part of Bob Ruff as well, that the process itself is a failure, that there's some corruption or there's some malefactors or bad actors in the criminal justice process, and that some guy with an internet connection is going to go back and do the job of the detective and the police and the prosecutors and the judge and the jury and get it right, right? So, I mean, I think that that's the... Bob Ruff can probably sit down with Ava DuVernay and Atisha or Attica Locke and be on that same kind of panel where, like, hey, you got... you The, the people who are getting paid by the, the public to do this job got it all wrong and we got it right. And then they get this whole people behind them who actually believe them. Like, Bob Ruff has something of a considerable following. They actually believe all that. And a considerable agent, too. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I mean, what's going on? So, I mean, you're just going to see the same thing coming up. We got Bob Ruff coming up on, uh, what channel is that again? I can't remember, but he's... Oxygen. Oxygen, the forgotten West Memphis 3. I haven't forgotten. I'm sure you have not forgotten. I have not forgotten, so... Um, I mean, I, I mean, who is he he's saying the forgotten West Memphis Three are? Are they the victims? Are they? Because I know that was the. Or are they saying it's the, the West Memphis Three? The West Memphis Three. The West Memphis are forgotten. Are yeah, they're forgotten the and they're victims. Yeah, nobody cares. They were railroaded for nineteen like, years. My frustration with the with. Uh, I think it comes. I, I'm very familiar. I, I you know I grew up in a leftist family, so that's what I'm familiar with. So. It just seems like they're always making the victimizer the victim. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I mean, I wrote about the Casa Lebre, you know, killer sympathizers, and you know, so this—it's not something new. I mean, I think you're—I think it's interesting you brought up Sacco Vizzetti because, you know, maybe we're just taking our—I'm taking it for granted that this is a new phenomenon. Maybe it goes back as far as to the old country. I don't know. Where people just, right. you know, I think there's something very American about being robbed of your freedom. And that really, that is just an American's worst nightmare. We are all about freedom and self-determinism and to be robbed of that. It's what, you know, a man robbed of his freedom, you know, it's just, just a very, very appealing potent, narrative. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Whether it's true or not, I mean. It's dramatic too, yeah. of course. So, yeah, we've I'm talked gonna, about I'm that. Gonna... Yeah, so it's it's really kind of, uh, it's just a huge kind of time waste in a lot of ways. I mean, now they see us as a big waste of time, just like the three documentaries on the West Memphis Three. It's just, it's just, uh, it's very odd. It's kind of like a specter of the truth. It's like a ghost of what reality is. And that ghost haunts us that, that much more so than the actual cold-hearted, dispassionate, facts that led to people's arrest and, and conviction. Yeah, I have more questions uh, on that. Maybe we'll, 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 we'll uh, circle around and talk about uh, some of this. You know, there's just so many, so many um, 
elements like um, social media and is it easier to go after people like this when they don't seem real, when they don't seem like a real person? Yes. And when you say something and you can't see them being, you can't even see their facial expression being hurt by it. I mean, do you really think Attica Locke would have said anything, any of these things to Linda Fairstein's face? No. That, no. That she put on Twitter? No. I don't think so. I think that it was, I think that, you know, I think that's an important point. Is that, you know, social media gives people the power to make those statements without a lot of consequences. Although, uh, you know, the more and more people are definitely using the legal system to redress wrongs. But, uh, you know, I don't I don't think people would be that nasty face to face. You know, it's just a distant, you know, somebody thousand miles away, far away. Right. Right. And I don't even think I mean, you could really get conceptual. I don't even think the Linda. I mean. I mean, Linda Fairstein now has a representation that doesn't even represent her. So it's like this fictional ghost, yeah. uh, racist Linda Fairstein that's being, you know, the subject of all this real-life consequences. Right. I mean, it's weird. I, it was, uh, I can't remember which philosopher it was, but it's like the reality and the specter of that reality. But the specter is, uh, I think it was Jock Derrida, D-E-R-I-D. But the specter itself becomes tangible, and that's that that dictates something different than what the true reality would affect us. So I think from a philosophical perspective, you see this play out in all these weird true crimes, you know, quasi crime documentaries. Mm. And I think it's really kind of also part of uh, I think it's social media, but it's also the media is kind of the message because. Many of these people are too lazy or too overburdened with something to actually sit down and do the carled hard work of reading through a transcript. So like a 100-page complaint for some people is just too much. It's too much to ask to actually read through that and get a proper determination of what happened, you know. And I, and so I don't think people – I think when it comes to group crimes – you know, and when one person says I did it all, I mean, it's like, oh, great. One person did it all. No, you know, people can understand that. Yes. But there's so many different, di this is a, you know, different elements and uh, that make the story comical and, and fictitious, the when they see us narrative. But it's very hard to explain in one sentence or two sentences. And uh, I've had people say to me, I don't know anything about that case. And they'll just, just that you're wrong and shake your shake their head while I'm talking to them, trying to explain it. And when I found the Ryan Ferguson case, I was like, wow, thank God. This, uh, and, and Charles, I was like, thank God this is so simple. Uh, but even that, you know, I, 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 it's, my arguments have been dumbed down and straw man. So right. I, I don't know. Well, I think it's also, I think it was John McAfee. For some reason, he said something that, I thought was actually pretty profound, which was people don't want the truth. They just want a little prepackaged little nugget that they can bite. So if they can just get that little prepackaged pedophore and stick it in their mouth, that's enough than actually wrestling with something that is is hard to find. The truth is sometimes hard to find. You gotta weed through the dismiss information, the false narratives, the the viral notion of other people's biases and agendas. So it's hard, you know, it's hard to actually get to the core truth of what happened. 
And uh, I think that that's, that's really that kind of murkiness and cloudiness that comes with the social media and, and the environment we're in now. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I had one last, what was my last question for you? Oh my gosh, I've forgotten. You want to but, ask me uh, about my, my second documentary on the Smiley Face Killers, who probably yes, people are working and, in groups? And, but where and, can people find your second documentary on the Smiley Face Killers? It's on Vimeo. It's the global slaughter okay. continues. So I tried to just show more of these cases are taking place all over the world. But that's another case where you bring up, like, they can't comprehend. I've talked to people, oh, so you think there's one serial killer uh, operating around and doing this? And I'm like, no, it's groups and people with the same agenda. But there's probably a team. And I talked to a couple of guys. One was McDonough, who wrote about gay serial killer craft. And then Kolarik, who talked about Eiler. And both of them, independent of each other, said, oh, yeah, they were probably working with somebody else, you know, that they were in group. But it was a lot easier for the cops and the public to just key in on one guy. And Kraft had like 100 victims. It's an incredible story. So anyway, just kind of. I remember in my question, is it is it is it getting to be a bummer to always be the feel bad? <laughs> feel bad uh, about what? Naysayer. <laughs> did did the naysayer feel bad position on these cases? I don't know. I think I was. I, I, something happened to me decades ago where I just knew that I was not going to go with the uh, um, consensus reality. So for me to be the naysayer is just kind of like part of my character. So I mean, it can be interpreted <laughs> as a naysayer, but the reality is, is that. Oftentimes, man, people can sense this reality, just they just don't get the real facts or the truth. So, and I mean, it's kind of scary to think that all of these court cases and the, the exemplar is perfected in this complaint of Fairstein's lawyers is that the documents that these people have compiled, they've done all the work. Why don't you read them? And they just choose to, people choose to ignore them. And uh, it goes back to West Memphis 3. It goes back to stuff regarding the so-called Hampstead horror and there's you know what's also weird is that there are people with their own agendas where if they read these cases there's cases that bolster whatever agenda they're going on just like we talked about so why don't you just find those court cases where somebody else has already done the hard work and the heavy lifting and just read them i don't know yeah yeah i'm just very surprised that 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 people with no knowledge of the case will want to sort of just say I'm wrong and admit that they don't know anything. So right. I, I find that very frustrating. It's about yeah. epistemology. It really is a philosophical view of how people look at um, look at the world, how they perceive reality, and how people's uh, presets, their agendas, their biases, whatever they are, and how uh, how it plays out in society, you know? So. Yeah, I, I just, I, 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 I don't know, my... Um, High school uh, history teacher predicted I would be assassinated because of my big mouth, but uh, this this one is just a killer for me. Uh, it's just a, a killer. And well, it's the it's the it's the perversion of true justice, where not only the people get committed to the crimes but do the time, but they also have that uh, onus or that burden of of the crime they committed and then taking that off of them and, and turning it upside down. You know, so like if somebody commits a crime, that usually sticks with them the rest of their life, whatever, you know, I robbed a 7-Eleven or whatever. But in these cases, it's the exact opposite where they're, they, the 
the crime doesn't stick and it, it gets inverted. <laughs> yeah, you know what I was thinking about is when they make, get these big settlements, for the ex- exception of Marty Tankwith, who became a lawyer, you know, they always say, when I get my freedom, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to do great things. But very seldom do they do great things or anything with their time or their money besides an occasional speech for the Innocence Project. Right. What had the Central Park Five done when they got their cash? What have they achieved? A, a few of them are on the speaking circuit, but uh, so they're on I the gravy train. What have the what have the what have West Memphis Three achieved? Exactly nothing. Yeah. A lot of occult. Uh, Damian Echoes a lot of occult <laughs> practicing, right? Which really wasn't supposed to be uh, a motivating factor at the original trial, right? right. I listen to people call you crazy for, for, for years and say he doesn't know what he's talking about, pulling out the occult elements in that crime. But I always knew you were you were right, because why lie about Crowley on the stand? Why lie about it if it's not, yeah. you know? Well, hey, right? man, he admits so much. He says, I know everything about the occult on the stand. He said in, a, in an interview, I was prosecuted for my love of the knowledge of Alice Crowley. It's right out of his mouth. I don't know what you're talking about. They just can't believe it. It's epistemology. I can't believe yeah. that that's real. I can't believe the occult influences human events. You don't know crap about the 20th century history, then, if you think that. You don't know anything about the Nazis or Adolf Hitler. Zero. Because the Nazi party at the core was run by heavy-duty occultists, man. From the beginning, all the Hitler, all you see, you know, it's not Christian. He's reading from Blavatsky. All kinds of strange That's right. Yeah. yeah. Come on, kids. Wake up. 60 million people dead. Yeah. So, um, you know, and it's lar- it's a part of larger issues of modern educational views. And, uh, you know, the, the, the real thing is that the occultists occult their knowledge. So until you understand that, you'll never understand what they're doing. Like, it's just off the jump. You can see, you can see Damien Eccles using mind control on people on his interviews, and nobody ever brings it up. Why? I mean, he's just playing people, clowns like people on The View and Judge Janine and all these people. They just don't have any idea what's going on, man. No, he has a great idea. interview, really. If you don't know what he's talking about, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. So you know, he's got him just. He Dramatic. just nods along with a yeah. lot. They repeat the lies. So anyway. Yeah. I don't know. Right. What, what do we miss? What do you want to end up with? I think we're Talking, at 15 minutes. I could talk to you forever about this stuff. Yeah. I'd appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, we can get into 9-11. You want to talk about the occult. Holy smoke. I mean, these people have no clue about the real, true world, and it's it's really just they're, they're, they can't see behind the curtain. It's this Wizard of Oz. can't see the wizard behind the curtain. I think it's unpleasant, too. Don't you think yeah, these absolutely. subjects are unpleasant? They're terrible. I talk to people here in California. I start talking to them and say, you know what? I don't like those stories. I want a happy ending. <laughs> no, it's a little. I'm, these are adults. I don't like your reality. These are adults. These are adults. Like I like this Hallmark TV channel. Like literal 50-year-old adults watching Hallmark things where it all wraps up in a nice little tidy package with a bow. You know? And right. Uh, that, I love when, a romantic, good romantic comedy like the next person, but you know, right. to well, say that saying. you're not going to listen to to someone's point of view because it's too disturbing, um, uh, you know. Well, I get you it. know, I think I that's really the, that's why in the Lord's Prayer it says, "Deliver us from evil," because some people make that choice to operate outside, and they may say they operate inside 
normal moral constraints or standard moral constraints or standard cultural constraints, but they choose at times not to do that. So that's why you have Central Park 5, West Memphis 3, making a murder, and that's why you say Christ said, deliver us from evil. So, I mean, what people don't, con- sometimes they just say the Lord's Prayer, they don't understand the meaning behind it. So I don't know. That'll be my end. Yeah, true. All right, thank you, William Ramsey. I appreciate it. Yeah, Roberta, it's great to talk um, to you. Is there anything you want to promote? Else no, no, nothing really. Nothing really that exciting. Uh, okay. Just go check out my movie. It's two hours. I, I, I pared down from the last movie, which was three and a half hours. So now I've done five and a half hours with over 100 cases on the smiley face killing phenomenon, which is really just a phenomenon of young men disappearing at night, ending up in water. So if you're locked in or bored, you can just... There's the first one and the second one have been done. So I think that I've proved my point conclusively that this phenomenon exists uh, in the face of many naysayers. And uh, I, I encourage people to watch it if they're interested in true crime, crimes that actually are being committed now that are not uh, ever brought um, to police attention. There's no arrest. Actually, I mean, there was one arrest of this one guy in Michigan. He was on Grinder, and uh, I think we talked about him Kentucky. Katunsky, but he might have been involved in all kinds of stuff. He was our, yeah, it gets really dark, but yeah. So yeah, anyway. I love, uh, yeah, that case is so interesting. The grinder killer, the grinder wow. killer, right? I mean, it's just like Stephen Port, Port, who was the grinder killer in um, London, but uh, yeah, the unfortunate victim got, yeah, I don't want to get into the graphic nature of what happened to him, but you know, there was all kinds of stuff on it. He was, he was a wolf, he was kind of like an acolyte of like some kind of. Uh, wolf culture or mm-hmm. werewolf culture and he had all this kind of weird stuff and how that went out in the moons and there is a correlation between some of these crimes and full moons so you should never know well, that's interesting yeah a lot on halloween too i, yeah. I you know I'm... halloween new year's yeah. you know christmas this guy was killed i think on christmas his name was hmm. uh what is his name? It's uh, Kevin Bacon. Right. His name was literally Maybe Kevin come Bacon. Come back and do do more. I mean, I'm right. you know I, I ha, I'm probably going to be quarantined in New York City, so maybe I can uh, get you to. I'm already uh, locked or whatever. Down. Yeah, you know, contained. I mean, yeah. So maybe I can get you to come back and we can do more of these. Sounds good. All right. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye.